Before you grab a seat, will you join me in prayer? Father, we do want your spirit down here on this earth, God. We want the walls to come crumbling down, God. I want your Holy Spirit, God, in my life, and every one of us wants that in each of our lives as well. And so, Holy Spirit, be present in this place, God. Break down those walls, open up our hearts, and open up our minds, God, as you speak into our lives today. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go ahead and grab a seat if you could. Uh, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here at First Baptist, and I wanted to encourage you today um, by telling you that you have 356 days to complete your Christmas shopping for next year. <laughs> Woo, some of you are like, I haven't finished yet. <laughs> We're busy people, aren't we? Just, we live busy lives. And um, you know what? Uh, one of my favorite songs that you hear on Christian radio is the song called The Motions. It was written by Matthew West, and uh, if you listen to Caleb, it was a song that for a number of years came on very regularly. And, and the thing about that song is the words just resonate with my heart. And so as we start today, I just wanted to share some of those words with you. And rather than singing them, because we want you to stay for the whole service, um, I'm going to read them for you. And so uh, a portion of the song says, Because just okay is not enough. Help me to fight through the nothingness of life. I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to go one more day without your all-consuming passion inside of me. And I don't know about you, but I know when I think of my life, I feel like I go through the motions a lot. I feel like I'm just trying to get through the busyness of this season to the next, to this and that and the other, that I feel like my life is just stuck in a rut. I feel like I just can't keep up. And I don't know about you, but I know for me, sometimes I feel like I'm sinking more than I'm floating. My life is busy. Maybe you wouldn't describe your life as busy. Maybe you would describe your life as chaotic. Maybe you would say that your life at times feels overwhelming, and as a result, you feel like you're a little bit anxious with all that you feel like you need to accomplish each and every day. But for me, the reason that I describe my life as being busy is because busyness for me has an equation to it. And here's how it goes. For me, my busyness is where I live, plus my job, the amount of kids that I have, or if you're a student, the number of classes that you're taking, add to it the number of credit cards that you have, and then on top of all of that, all of the things that we say yes to. And when you add all of that up, we get a busyness quotient that, to be honest with you, can be overwhelming at times. Do you feel like you're stuck in a rut? Do you feel like life sometimes is a burden? For me, when I look at the busyness of my life, I see it manifested in a number of ways. Um, the first way that I see is in the form of clutter. If you were to go home and look up the word clutter in the dictionary, you would see a picture of this face right there. Because in busy lives, they're often reflected in clutter. So what I've learned to do is I've learned to hide my clutter in my garage, in my office, even underneath the seat in my car. And I'm so good when somebody's going to come over or somebody's going to ride with me to take all of that stuff and do that quick cleanup and kind of stuff it here, there, and everywhere to try to hide my busyness. 
Does anybody in here deal with clutter in your life, or am I just the only one? Look around, church. You're not alone. Another one that I see that I, in my life is that of an addiction to speed. An addiction to speed. And it's funny because a couple of you raised your hands already because you're that fast. Things for you and you're addicted to speed. Things have to go quick. You listen quick. You speak quickly. And you're that kind of person that when somebody's sharing with you, you want to finish the sentence for them because they're not getting to it quickly enough. People that are addicted to speed, if maybe you're like me, when you're at the grocery store, as you're getting up to the checkout lines, you look down at your cart, and you see how many items you have in your cart, and you're looking at each one of the checkers, and you're doing logarithms in your mind, and you're trying to decide how fast they are going to be, and if the people in the other lines, if you're going to get stuck behind that person that writes a check. And you're saying, how can I get through here as fast as possible? And then if you're really... If you're really addicted to speed, you stand there in line watching to see if you would have been faster in that one or in yours. And if you catch out, if you check out before the other people do, you go, yes, I won. How many of you in here are addicted to speed? Take a look. You're not alone. Another one that I see in my life, and maybe you see it in your life as well, is that of multitasking. You know what multitasking is? It's like driving a car, putting your makeup on, and clipping your toenails. Um, They say that women are really good at multitasking. Um, But I'm here to tell you that men are really good at multitasking too. Watch this afternoon when you go home and, and the man is sitting on the couch watching football, listening to an important conversation from his wife while texting on his phone at the same time. That's multitasking. Maybe you're sitting here today and and you're multitasking even right now as you're listening to a sermon, reading the bulletin, and making a shopping list for what you need to do after service today. Curious, how many multitaskers do we have here today? Look around, you're not alone. Um, I think some of you might be getting tired of raising your hands. And so these next few I want to share with you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because to be honest with you, they're a little bit too embarrassing to admit. The next one that I look at that is reflected in busy lives is what I would describe as superficiality. This is where you stay on the surface with people because hurry is the enemy of depth. You don't go deep with people and you live your life in a very shallow place. To be honest, you've become a shallow person. And as a result, you don't think that hurry and rush have impacted your life at all. You could be described as being superficial. Another one that is a hard one to soak in, but yet is a great descriptor of a life of busyness, is what I would describe as relationship fatigue. This type of fatigue is where you have no time for those that are closest to you. You're too tired, too drained, or too preoccupied to give the people that need and deserve your love the most. Instead, they're the ones that get cheated. They get your emotional table scraps relationship fatigue. They all concern me, but this last one that I want to share with you concerns me even more. As a pastor, this one hits me really hard, and it's that of spiritual emptiness. Spiritual emptiness. 
That's where you have no time or emotional energy to sit down with the word of truth and open it up and allow God's word to meditate and speak into your life. You would be living with what I would describe as an inner erosion of your soul, where your spiritual life is malnourished and it's starving, where you come to church on a Sunday out of obligation because that's just what you do, but yet it's not out of a desire to seek after the face of God or to grow or to be challenged. You, my friend, are dealing with spiritual emptiness. in a moment of complete honesty, as you look at some of the things that I've just talked about, do you want to take a step back for a moment? Do you want to take a step back from the busyness that you find yourself in and look at life from a whole different perspective to see what life might be like if you're not caught in a chaotic mess, when you're not overwhelmed by the necessities of the moment? Would you like to take a deep breath today and see what life could be like if you weren't so busy. This morning, I want to talk about one word, one word that God has literally been smacking me around with in overwhelming fashion over the last six months or so. And it's funny that me, of any pastor on our staff, would be the one that would share this message with you Because to be honest with you, I didn't live this way until about six months ago. The word that I want to share with you today is the word margin. And often when we think of margin, we think of the area around a piece of paper, or if you're an elementary school teacher, it's that side on this side of the pink line that you don't want the kids to write in. But the type of margin that I'm talking about today is different than that. In fact, there's a Dr. Richard Swenson who gives a great definition for margin. Here's what he says. He says, margin is the space between our load and our limits. It's the amount that's allowed beyond which is needed. It's something that we have in reserve for contingencies or unanticipated situations. Margin is the gap between rest and exhaustion. It's the gap, the space between being able just to breathe freely and feeling like you're suffocating. Margin is the exact opposite of overload. In fact, if we're feeling overloaded, we have no margin in our lives. Because margin doesn't just happen. It's a choice. So how do we see margin in our everyday lives? Margin could be showing up to an appointment or even to church five or ten minutes early so that you're not stressed getting there. Margin could be having three, four, even crazy five nights in a week where you don't have something scheduled. Margin could be having extra time and extra money to be able to invest and to give to people in ministries that you love. Margin could have significant, mean that you have significant time with God. Not where the only prayer you have during the day is rub-a-dub-dub, thank you for the grub, amen. But where you have the time to meditate upon God's word, to sit and enjoy in his presence. Margin is where you have the time to dream, to think, to enjoy life. 
Friend, margin doesn't just happen. It's a choice. And simply put, as I look at my life and maybe as you look at your life as well, margin is what many of us do not have. And I'm convinced that the best, that the best things in life happen in the margins. If you have your Bibles with you today, would you open up with me to Luke chapter 10? It will also be up on the screen here in a minute. In Luke chapter 10 is a great passage of scripture. We'll be in verses 38 through 42. And, and it's a story of two different women. One is of a woman who had no margin at all. And the other is a woman who created margin and experienced something that could never be taken away from her. If you are a task-oriented person, this is the worst passage in scripture for you. So welcome. Verse 38, read along with me if you could. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I love when I read scripture to put myself into the situation, to visualize what's going on in the text, and really to kind of personalize it so that I can own it. So today, can I be so bold as to paint a picture for you of how I visualize this passage of scripture going on? Jesus doing the ministry that Jesus did, decided to get away from the busyness of people coming to him and stepped away to a village where he went to go and visit his dear friends, Mary and Martha. And so he was invited into the home of Martha, and just as you would do, and just as my wife and I do, when we have an honored guest into our home, we want to make sure to honor those people and make sure that everything is perfect. And so as I visualize what's going on, as I picture it, I picture Martha wrestling with the fact that she has the Savior of the world over to her house for a meal. So she's in the kitchen. She's bustling and hustling. She's doing this, that, and the other, trying to get everything ready because she wants it to be perfect. In my ears, I hear the sound of pots and pans banging into each other. And as I smell the, the smell of a beautiful aroma of all of this food coming together, I look at Martha and I say, see sweat beads starting to come up on her forehead as she is just stressing, stressing, trying to make sure that everything is done just right. But as Martha is in that kitchen, she is fuming mad because she looks across the room and she sees her sister her sister of all people, sitting, just sitting being lazy with Jesus. And Martha, she starts to think more about the situation. She looks down at her apron, and she sees flour and all kinds of stuff that is splashed on her apron. And she starts to think, but wait, my sister doesn't have an apron on. She's not all dirty. She's not in here sweating. And the anger starts to fester more and more. And Martha starts to tell herself, the least that my sister could do would be in here setting the table. She says, I've had enough. I'm going to go take this up with Jesus because that lazy sister of mine is doing nothing. 
Stay right there. And then we go over here to the whole other perspective. And here we have Mary, who she's so excited that her dear friend Jesus has come to visit them. And she's a guest at her sister's house, and so what she wants more than anything else is to hear what her friend Jesus has to share. And so she sits down, relaxed, and listens to what Jesus has to say. And as she's there, she can sit there and listen to Jesus, but she can also hear in the other room the hustling and the bustling in the kitchen. She can hear the sound of pots and pans banging against each other. And even in midst of Jesus sharing, she can hear the dramatic sighs of her sister Martha <sighs> as she's in the kitchen. And Mary's in tune enough to read between the lines that her sister is upset at her. But she's sitting in the presence of Jesus. She's soaking in every nugget of truth that Jesus has to share with her. And in this moment as she sits there with Jesus, she's not worried about the china. She's not worried about the centerpiece. She's not even worried about what they're going to eat. Because she wants to spend time with Jesus. Mary is an example of somebody who chose to have margin in her life. Mary had time for deep, meaningful relationships in her life. Mary knew that margin didn't just happen. She had to choose to spend her time investing in important relationships. Martha, on the other hand, she chose busyness. She chose doing and as a result of doing rather than being, Martha missed out on the greatest blessing of her life. And now she's fuming mad and she's angry. Let's go back to the text. Look at what it says in the middle of verse 40. Martha comes running to Jesus and she says, Jesus, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care that my sister, that sister, has left me to do all of the work by myself? Jesus, tell her to help me. Jesus, there isn't a moment to spare. There's food that needs to be cooked. We need to eat, Jesus. Tell that lazy sister of mine to get in there and help me. Jesus, it isn't fair. Jesus, it isn't fair. You know what's funny to me? Is that in that moment, Martha was absolutely convinced that what she was doing was correct. What she was doing was the most important thing. That I'm in here getting everything ready. I'm in here getting everything so that we can eat, so Jesus can be felt as special. And she's sitting over there being lazy, not doing a thing. Because you know what happens is Martha's get resentful and judgmental of Mary's. Don't get me wrong, we need a little bit of Martha in our lives, but we also need some Mary as well. We live in a Martha world that often looks down on the Mary that would much rather spend her time relationally than getting tasks accomplished. And there, my friend, is the greatest challenge in this message that I have to share with you today. Because many of you Many of you who relate more to the Martha way of living are going to be convinced that the way that you are living is necessary and it is right. You are going to think that, well, success, in order to be successful in this world, I need to be busy. I need to be doing more. 
And the result of that mindset, just for yourself, you've also projected it onto your children as well. And in your parenting, you, you take your kids and you have them involved in four, five, six different activities because the only way that they're going to be successful in this competitive world is for them to be well-rounded and involved in everything. That more is better. As American Christians, we bought into the lie that more busyness is what life is about. And you're convinced with everything in you that the necessity of the moment is what truly matters. That the next position, that the new house, the new car, that more money, or whatever it is that makes you busy in the moment justifies the means to the end. And rather than being, you spend your time doing and you miss out on the greatest blessing in life because everybody else is doing it. If that's you today, can I ask you, can I urge you as your friend, as your pastor, to open up your heart and open up your mind to a whole different way of thinking and living? Because to be honest with you, my life has been more of a Martha way of living then it's been a merry type of living. I was raised to work hard that time equaled money. Busy, 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 work, 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 work. And I would put more on myself seeking after some goal, some prize that was always elusive and always changing. But yet when I take that step back and I look at my life, I have to acknowledge to all of you that my busyness hasn't changed the world that my busyness hasn't brought in some financial windfall. And even if it did, what would it have cost me if I had? You know what my busyness has done? My busyness has impacted every single person in my life. My busyness, my bringing on more and more and more has impacted those closest to me. My busyness hasn't been a blessing. It's been more of a negative than a positive. A lack of margin affects every aspect of our lives. So what do we do? Busyness has a grip on so many of us that are here today. What needs to change in our lives so that we can see margin? As I look at the life of Martha and I look at the life of Mary, as I think of the life of Jesus, I see people that make choices to put margin in their lives. So Margin doesn't just happen. It's a choice. So if you're taking notes, I have just a couple of thoughts for you of ways that we can put margin into each of our individual lives. And the first one is what I call intentional times of rest. Intentional times of rest. You and I were not created to run 100 miles per hour each and every day. Every single one of us needs margin in our lives where we can come home and come down and rest. But we live at such a frantic pace that we've ignored the most basic of needs, which is rest. We work, 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 run, 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 here, there, everywhere, morning to night, everywhere until we're exhausted. And finally, at the end of the day, we get home, we plop on a couch with a remote in our hand, and we stare endlessly at a TV at meaningless entertainment till we fall asleep on the couch 
only to repeat it again tomorrow. There's others of you that maybe you're not the couch person, but you're the person that brings your work home with you on a regular basis. And you continue to do work even while you're at home when you're supposed to be with your family. You have no boundaries, and as a result of your inability to be able to turn your work off, you never engage at home. You're weary, you're burdened, and in order to experience the value of margin in each of our individual lives, we need rest for our souls. I love what Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29 says. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Jesus says, those of you that are overwhelmed, those of you that are hurting, those of you that are single parents and you don't think you'll make it through another day, those of you that are business owners and are stressed to your max, those of you that are financially feel the weight of the world on you, those of you that are stressed, come to me, all those are weary and burdened. And Jesus says, what? Jesus says, and I will give you rest. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, Jesus says. He says that he is gentle and humble in heart. And in him, and in only in him, will we find rest for our souls. The very thing that many of us do not have, rest. If we will come to Jesus, he freely gives it to us. But to be honest with you, Most of us, when we get to that place when we're busy, when we lose margin, we feel like we can't afford to take time to let down, let alone take an entire day of rest. Our God, when he created the heavens and the earth, worked six days, and on the seventh day he rested. It's one of the Ten Commandments, to honor the Sabbath, to take a day of rest. But for so many of us, we've bought into the lie that we're too busy or too important to take a day of rest. And you might be sitting here thinking, Scott, you work in a church. You don't understand the stress that I'm under at my job. You don't understand the deadlines that I have to make. You don't understand the boss that I have. You're right. I don't. But our God does. And to be honest with you, when you choose to say that you know more about your created body, when you know more about taking rest or not taking rest, what you're saying is that God's teachings, that God's ways are not the right ways. Friend, you're struggling with a faith issue. If you don't truly believe that our God can help you make more in six days than you do in seventh days, then you think you're smarter than the God that created the heavens and the earth. Here's what I know. I know that there will always be another deadline. There will always be another deal. But if you don't take the time to rest now, you won't have the margin or the ability to make those deals or make those deadlines down the road. Yeah, it might work for you now. It might even work for you next month. But sooner or later, it's going to catch up to you and the ramifications are going to be far greater. It's not going to happen just in your work. It's going to impact your marriage. It's going to impact your relationship with your children. It's going to impact you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. God didn't create the Sabbath. He didn't create margin merely as a suggestion. 
He created it because he knew you and I needed it. Friend, margin isn't a choice. Margin isn't going to just happen. It's a choice. To gain margin, we need to choose intentional rest. And next, we need to stop saying yes to so many things. We need to stop saying yes to so many things. Those closest to me, those uh, uh, that know me well, would uh, agree with uh, me when I say that I am really good at saying yes to more. And I'm not very good at saying no to things. For years, this has been my downfall, and maybe it's been your downfall as well, as I see a lot of heads bobbing in here. What would happen for me is whether it was with family, friends, or even here at the church, as someone would float something out as something that we, uh, would be a good idea, I thought, hey, that's something that I can do, so I would do it. Instead of asking the question, should I do it? See, the problem with saying yes to more is it has ripple effects. Your yes to more at work affects your family. By saying yes to more at work, you add unnecessary stress and strain on yourself. And as a result, at the end of the day, you come home tired and stressed and anxious and angry. And you give your family your worst and not your best. Maybe your inability To say no comes with your family and not at your workplace. And you can't say no to your children or even to your grandchildren. And as a a result, you are a modern-day taxi service taking your kids and the neighbor kids that you can't say no to either. From t-ball to ballet to art class to who knows what, and your kid's only four years old. (laughs) And as a result of your inability to say no... And your desire to say yes to more. You're just stressed out. You're at your max. And your kids who you think you're growing to be these well-rounded kids are learning a lifestyle of busyness and aren't getting anything out of what you're investing all of your time and your energy in. So let me encourage you to use a word that has become one of my favorite words. No! I just want to shout that out now. It's so much fun. When someone asks you to do something that you could do, but would create undue stress or or pressure on you, it's okay to say no. When somebody asks you to do something that somebody else could very easily do, say no. When your kids or your grandkids come up to you with some crazy idea that you know you don't want to do anyways, say no. They need to learn the power of no. But please understand this. I'm not standing before you today and telling you, hey, go say no like a two-year-old says no. Say no to everything. I'm saying be purposeful and prayerful in what you say no to. If you're not sure or you're kind of feeling a little bit of pressure, don't make a commitment in the moment, but take the time to pray about it. Ask God, God, is this something that I should do or is this just something that I could do? And when you're looking at major commitments, ask yourself the question, what will be the impact of my yes in one or three or even five years from now? If it's a major commitment, also ask God the question, what will be the eternal impact of my yes today? 
when we view our tasks, when we view our busyness, not in the moment, but in light of an eternal impact, it helps us to discern whether we should say yes or we should say no. Because here's the deal. Jesus didn't say yes to everything or everyone. There were times where he removed himself. There were times that Jesus didn't heal people even though he knows he could have healed them. Jesus knew the power of no just as he knew the significance of his yes. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 out of the NIV says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. When we get out of that rut of busyness, when doing, 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 we're no longer conforming to the pattern of this world. But when we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, when we allow God to change our mind's perspective, then we're able to test and approve. Then we're able to ask God, what is your best for my life, God? And he'll show us what his good, pleasing, and perfect will is. Over the last uh, uh, six months or so, I've said no increasingly. And do you know what? It feels so good to say no. Brad's not here. It's kind of fun to say no to Pastor Brad too. <laughs> Don't tell him. But you know what I've noticed when I've said more no to more things? I've been a happier person. I've been less stressed. I've had more margin in my life. My family has noticed. The different teams that I lead here at First Baptist have noticed. Because margin doesn't just happen. It's a choice. And in order to have more margin in your life, you need to be willing to say no. Friend, to see more margin in our lives. We need to be intentional with our times of rest. We need to stop saying yes to more, learn the power of no, and finally choose to cheat. Choose to cheat. Yes, your pastor is telling you, choose to cheat. Let me explain it for you. Andy Stanley, who is a well-known uh, Christian uh, pastor out of Atlanta, wrote a book called When Work and Family Collide. And in his book, Andy writes about how we'll never have enough time in our lives to attain our ideal career productivity, to maintain our relationship with our spouses, with our kids, uh, with our friends, and anybody else in our lives, to also find time to go out and exercise and have physical fitness, to serve within our community, to reach our financial goals, goals to be able to spend time with our God, and oh yeah, maybe if there's a little bit of time left, to have a hobby. He says, regardless of how good you are at managing your time or controlling your schedule, something, or more often, somebody else gets cheated. See, the issue today isn't whether to cheat, but choosing where to cheat and how to go about it. So let me take that cheating word out of there, because in the church world, saying to cheat seems a little awkward, and maybe that's uncomfortable for you. So let me say it to you maybe in a different way. Maybe a better way to think about it would be to give up one thing in order to gain something else of greater value. Here's what I know about your workplace and mine as well. If you were to stay at your workplace until everything was finished, if you were to stay there until you have taken advantage of every opportunity that came your way, if you sought out every opportunity to maximize your abilities, to improve your skills, to advance on your career you would never make it home. And just the same, 
If you stayed home until every ounce of affection was poured out in all of the appropriate places, if you kept giving until every emotional need of every person in your home had been met, if you did every chore, finished every to-do list, and did everything necessary to make sure that everyone felt loved, first of all, you would be exhausted. And second of all, you would never leave your home. So as a result something or someone isn't going to get what he wants from you or she needs from you or he deserves from you or certainly what she expects from you. There is no way around it. There's not enough time in our day. So you have to choose. And the sad part is, is too many of us choose our workplaces rather than our families. So today I want to encourage you I want to challenge you. I want to implore you as your pastor to cheat on your workplace and spend more time with your family. And to be honest with you as your pastor and somebody that you support, I have been cheating on all of you for the last six months with my family and it has been absolutely remarkable the difference that it has made in my home. Let's face it. It's amazing when a crisis comes in your household how bold you are with your boss. Or when a spouse or a child is sick, and I'm not talking (coughs) sick, but major illness, it's amazing how you're willing to skip out on that important meeting you thought you could never miss, how you're willing to take that vacation you never thought you could take, and you will go spend days, weeks, or months in the midst of a crisis. And so today, I want to challenge you to cheat before you get to the crisis situation. Every Tuesday, I meet with a group of guys. We have an amazing time at lunch where we encourage one another, where we challenge one another. And we've been going through Andy Stanley's book together. And right at the very beginning, I challenged each one of the guys that we get together. And I told them, I said, I want you to cheat on your workplace or on an obligation and go spend time with your family members when they least expect it. And the results and the reports have been absolutely amazing. Um, There's one guy who had an opportunity to do a side job where he would have made a ton of money right before Christmas. How nice would have that been, right? And so instead of going and doing this side job, he turned it down so that he could take his kids to school. And even before he took them to school, they took a detour and they went to the donut shop. And he sat there eating donuts with his kids when they're supposed to be rushing to school and had a leisure conversation to connect on a heart level with his children. They didn't expect it because they thought dad would be at work where he normally is. What about another guy in the very busiest time of his entire year for his job? He rearranged his schedule so that he could go and pick up his kid from preschool and take him out on a play date to go bounce on bounce houses. And he had so much fun with his kid that the next week he said, I'm going to cheat on my wife. And what he did is, is, is he had an engagement on a Saturday all the way in San Francisco. And he made arrangements so other people could cover different parts so he could rush out of there as quick as possible. He flew, probably sped, any policemen ignore this part. Uh, he sped all the way back from San Francisco to make it here because his wife was up on this platform for the Christmas musical so that he could be here to surprise her when he, she least expected it to offer the support that she desired and deserved. So why do I share this? Why do I share those stories? I share them with you because these people have important jobs, just like you have an important job. 
but they took the time to cheat on their employer so they could spend their time where it was the most important. Friend, don't miss this. Don't miss this. In the marketplace, in your workplace, you're expendable. In your home, you play a unique role in which only you can fill. As a father, as a mother, as a sister or a son, the support that you bring, that you bring to your family is irreplaceable. Some of the duties at your workplace can be delegated to someone else. They can go and hire somebody to fill your shoes soon thereafter. But no one, but no one can fill your shoes at home. So will you cheat on your workplace? Will you cheat on that obligation that you don't feel like you can miss so that you can show your family, your bride, your children, how important they are to you? Friend, margin doesn't just happen. It's a choice. It comes when you're intentional with finding times of rest. When you stop saying yes to so many things and learn the power of no. And finally, when you choose to cheat, it's then that you'll find margin in your life and it's in the margin of life that you will truly thrive. Will you join me in prayer this morning? Father, I thank you. God, for the journey that you have taken me through over these past six months or so. God, it hasn't been an easy journey. There certainly have been ups and downs, and God, I I know that I haven't arrived at, at handling the busyness in my life. But God, I thank you for the ways that, God, you have refined. God, I thank you for the ways that you have pruned in my life, and God, I pray for that exact same thing to happen in each one of my friends' lives here, God, that are struggling with that same kind of busyness. God, our culture tells us that busyness equals success. Our culture tells us a complete different message than what you tell us. And God, I so desire for every single one of my friends here that, God, they'll have the margin in their life to be able to spend significant time with you. That, God, they'll have the margin in their lives to be able to invest in those that you have entrusted them to lead and those that you have put in their lives to encourage them with. Father, we don't want to go through the motions anymore. God, we want to experience you in a whole new way. God, help us to fight through the nothingness of life. God, I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to go one more day without your all-consuming passion inside of me. God, for each one of my friends, God, we don't want to spend our whole lives asking, what if we had given you everything rather than the necessity of the moment? God, have your way with us. Change our hearts. Change our work perspective. And God, I pray that this year, that, God, you will help us to choose to put margin in our lives because, God, it doesn't happen in our own strength, but it happens in the strength that we get through you. God, help us to not go through the motions anymore. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.